Before I launch into my sermon, I just wanted to call your attention to the collect um, for today. Um, it, it, we always have this collect on a, a Sunday when um, there aren't a whole lot of people in church. I thank you for being here. Um, but it's, it's an interesting collect because it presents the, the two ways, the two principal ways in which the church speaks of um, Christ's atonement for us, um, what it is that God did through Jesus on our behalf. The, the first way is that Jesus is a sacrifice for our sins, um, meaning that he did something for us. He did something that we don't have to do. He did it instead of us, okay? And the second way, um, which can be either complementary or an alternative, is that what Jesus did set us an example. So it's not that Jesus did something, something so that we don't have to do that, but that he, he showed us the path to follow. Um, now, I think most of us think of those things as complementary rather than opposed, but I just want you to be aware that there are these two strands that run through um, the liturgy, some, some of which speaks of sacrificial stuff, which up, upsets a lot of people, including me, um, and um, the other is um, that Jesus shows us the path to follow. And both of those are um, summarized in our collect for today. So that's my little blurb. In well-off parts of the world, you might hear someone say, you are what you eat. In less well-off parts of the world, you would probably hear, you are if you eat. I have always been annoyed, it's going on some 30 plus years now, that for five consecutive Sundays in the late summer, year after year, the lectionary stalls in chapter 6 of John's Gospel, giving us a series of readings about the feeding of the 5,000 and its immediate aftermath, readings which can easily run together, which is probably why I keep reading the wrong lesson. I feel an urge to move on. It, there is also, this is also usually about the time that I begin a diet in anticipation of having to get into my fall clothes and I find it hard to be forced to think about food when I'm trying to stay away from food. So why do we have all of these readings about food and eating? If you think about the Old Testament, there are many passages about food. One of Israel's foundation stories describes how God provided manna from heaven to nourish the starving people during their wilderness wandering following their escape from slavery in Egypt. God was also said to have provided food to Elijah the Tishbite when he fled from evil King Ahab and his vicious wife Jezebel. Food in the form of a forbidden apple had supposedly been the cause of God's casting Adam and Eve out of paradise. And celebrations involving copious amounts of truly excellent food and wine were a common way of thinking about what it will be like when paradise is finally reestablished by God in the end times. The Jewish people were convinced that food was very important to God, and as a result, they observed a lot of rituals concerning food, both in worship and in the home, especially after religious law was codified during the Babylonian exile. You will remember that Jesus' eating habits came to be the subject of much discussion and controversy. He was not an ascetic like John the Baptist, and he was known to be just a little indiscriminating in his choice of dinner companions. It stands to reason, therefore, that for the people among whom Jesus lived and worked, 
His teachings about food would be an important part of how they evaluated his message. Their suspicions are already slightly raised when Jesus says what for many in the crowd turned out to be a particularly disgusting and outrageous thing. We who are used to hearing Jesus' words about flesh and blood as a reference to the Eucharist may not hear the full and shocking impact of what Jesus says. But John's Gospel makes it completely clear that his words caused a major ripple and lost Jesus a significant number of followers. Their disgust and bewilderment are understandable if you read the words as though you did not know the future history of the church. It sounds as if Jesus is speaking of violent cannibalism. Indeed, early Christians were, half seriously, accused of cannibalism by those who heard that their central ritual involved eating flesh and drinking blood. Unquestionably, Jesus intended to shock. The violence of his words is calculated. Throughout this chapter, he has been involved in conversations with people who do not want to see what he is talking about. They are happy with his miracles. They are happy to receive free food. They are quite intrigued by some of his teachings, but they are still assuming, basically, that they get to choose. They choose what bits they like and disregard the others. They choose when to show up and when to leave. They think they are on a cafeteria plan, as it were, a plan with many options that they can tack on to how they are already living, making just a small tweak here and a minor adjustment there. But Jesus is not an optional extra, and he is calling people to wholesale change, change so thorough that it is akin to dying and rising again, change that requires us to give of our very substance, of our very flesh and blood. Pope Francis has observed that people sometimes speak of God as if God were a dry cleaner. He says, we think of ourselves as basically fine, just the way we are, although we recognize that on rare occasions, we do something that results in a spot that we wish to have removed. We think that the spot is superficial, something which can be quickly and easily taken care of. Instead of this illusion, Francis says, we ought to realize that we bear in our deepest souls a serious festering wound, a wound that if left untreated will kill us spiritually if not physically. God is not a dry cleaner who deals with our superficial exterior, but a creator and healer who addresses our grave estrangement from and deep longing for life as God wants us to experience it. How can Jesus make people understand this when they persist in seeing him as one of a number of possible options? How can he make people understand that the life God offers us is what will satisfy and sustain us? How can Jesus make them understand that the commitment God wants, the commitment God requires, is total, a commitment that requires death to self in order to live for and in God? Jesus' words to the crowd about flesh and blood were meant to show what is at stake and to force a reaction and his words are addressed to us, too, to you and to me. He is asking us, do you want to live a life of vanity and illusion, or do you want to live a life rooted in and fed by the life of God in you?
the choice is ours. Amen.